Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone, this is Mary Woods and welcome to this beautiful June day for those of you who are older veterans or sons or daughters of older veterans. Today's D-Day, the anniversary of it anyway, and uh, we just want to say thank you to all those who serve or who have served um, to protect our country and our freedom. Uh, Today we have a very interesting show. Our guest is Karen Carpenter-Palumbo. She is the new president and CEO of NATAP, which is the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. Karen began her position on April 4, 2011, so she's brand new to this organization. Prior to that, she was the commissioner of the State of New York Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services from 2007 through 2010. She also has extensive experience working in the mental health field and other health-related organizations, as well as in the insurance industry. Karen has been a strong advocate for both the private and public sectors of addiction treatment, and she brings that strong commitment to the field to her new position at NATAP. Karen holds a Master of Social Work degree and has been the recipient of many awards for the work she has done in the addiction field, among them the 2010 SAMHSA Science and Service Award, the 2010 Spirit Award from the International Nurses Society on Addictions, and the 2009 Ramstead Kennedy Award for Outstanding Leadership. Um, Please join us in welcoming Karen Carpenter-Palumbo to our show. Welcome, Karen. Mary, thank you. It's great to be on. Um, You certainly have had a significant and diverse background in the addiction treatment profession. And our show today is uh, titled A New Day in Addiction Treatment. And maybe we should just begin by talking a little bit about what was typical in the addiction treatment profession when you first um, became involved? Well, I think, um, let's see, how many years ago? I have to count the years. But I think what was typical at that time, um, I I was probably just coming off the time where um, uh, you know, people were t- telling stories about um, heroin addicts, in, uh, especially in New York City, and uh, people were giving them um, alcohol to help them through their addiction. And uh, that was an interesting time, I think, because people didn't know what to do, and we didn't have a lot of research because not a lot of people paid attention to, um, you know, what addiction really was And at the time. And I think that um, I could believe that we, you know, we would as a, as a society give you know, one substitute, you know, uh, one addiction for the other. But it was fairly typical that, that, you know, that was at the tail end of it when I remember. And I just, but I was always taken uh, from uh, even early on the commitment um, that individuals that work in this field have. And that I think those two 
almost a dichotomy on, you know, we were, we were treating, you know, an addiction with an, another addiction, but we also had these incredible, um, you know, counselors and uh, people in the field that were just really, you know, um, amazing as far as their dedication and commitment. Those are just two things that come to mind very quickly. Well, I, I think that the, uh, to work in this profession, it's almost a calling. Um, I, I think that people come to this profession with that passion and that burning desire to really help other people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's unique in some respects. Um, I, when I first entered this profession, um, I came through as a registered nurse. And mm-hmm. when I was in nursing school in New York State, um, the first year I was in nursing school, we got to do all the jobs no one else wanted to do. So um, I can remember distinctly being told to sit next to a man who was in four-point restraints who was going through alcohol withdrawal, mm-hmm. and I was there with a crash cart. So that oh, if, he sure, stopped to sure. bre- if he stopped breathing, I had to push the, the nurse's call button and then start CPR. And I mm-hmm. can remember the nurses treating this family and this man like like he was a leper. I mean, right. You right. know, they. I remember the nurses seeing, saying, "Why do they stay with him? You know, why, mm-hmm. why, why do we have to have him on our floor?" And mm-hmm. then New York State decriminalized alcoholism when Senator Harold Hughes um, enact, helped to enact the the funding for NIAAA and um, NIDA, which is the National Institute on Drug mm-hmm. Drug Abuse. And then the hospital that I was training in, in Elmira, New York, um, <laughs> developed a rehabilitation unit for men, and it was called the Southern Tier Alcoholism Rehabilitation Program. It was a STAR program. Mm-hmm. And they found a psychiatrist. Which is still there, by the way. Still there. <laughs> they found a psychiatrist that knew, knew about addiction, and they got a counselor, and they took one of the men's surgical units and turned it into a four-bed detox. And we... It, and what was so amazing to me is that that this the treatment of this disease went from being the the bottom rung on the, the clinical ladder to the new and ex- sexy exciting new thing to treat, and that mm-hmm. was because of actually the, the Hughes Act, which was a seventy four or seventy three or something mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And, and since then, I think it's just been an evolution, as you said, of the research that has happened, which has really helped us understand that addiction is a brain disease. And so as a, as a profession, um, we've needed to evolve and change the way we think and kind of learn how to incorporate this, this science into treatment. Absolutely, and I and I think you know I from a similar experience that I had as a um, probably the first time in uh, in Poughkeepsie, New York. Actually, they created a, a program to have a social worker in the emergency room because they had at the time what they referred to as disposition problems. Now you can imagine that most of the disposition problems were either the alcoholic or the um, the drug addict who was in there for another reason. You know, um, maybe a car accident, um, a domestic violence incident, and you know the as you know, from a medical standpoint, nurses and physicians don't want to spend time on, you know, the the disposition problem. They have to spend time on, you know, the acute heart attack, the, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the the, the surgical procedures, the, everything that's medically um, oriented. And they gradually, over time, understood that they did have to spend time on this because this was a, a an ongoing problem on why people were even entering the emergency room. So I was I was thrilled to be part of like this new up and coming um, practice of of social work in the emergency room because you know at least sixty percent of the cases that I dealt with were as a result of an addiction. Well, and you know you you had mentioned how when you first entered the profession, 
there was the treatment of drug addiction, but at the time, um, alcoholism or the use of alcohol wasn't really linked to drug addiction. And many in many states at that point, there was an office of drug abuse as well as there was an office of alcoholism. So right. even within our profession, there was a division mm-hmm. and, and philosophies. And and that was no different in New York. And it's interesting that you say that as well because I um, when I first came to um, government in New York, I, I worked under Mario Cuomo, and he asked me that same question. He said, why do we have a division of alcoholism and alcohol abuse, and why do we have a division of substance abuse services? And I said, I am not sure. And he said, well, that doesn't make sense. And I said, you're right. And that's how public policy is often made um, because we said addiction is an addiction. And um, I was able to work on the merger um, in New York uh, in 1982 um, of, of merging of the, um, I'm sorry, 1992, the merging of the two agencies. And everybody at the point, at one point from the alcohol world and from the drug world, thought it was heresy. And very slowly, we were able to educate, I think, both sides of the equation that let's, you know, uh, we have a strength um, in learning about addiction as an addiction, and regardless of what, you know, the whether it's alcohol or a drug. And now, as you know, we've added, um, certainly in New York State, we added in many uh, states across the country are adding gambling as, a, as the third addiction that also has a link with, with um, both alcohol and drugs. And it's also the silent addiction that you don't often see, I mean, you can't see gambling, you can't mm-hmm. see the effects mm-hmm. of it. And, right, um, and I think it's where, you know, if you look at it, it's where, you know, drug abuse, alcohol and drug abuse was about 20 years ago as well. You know, it was silent in many families. Um, and uh, now with the education and, and you know, people really who are in recovery, talking about their recovery in their lives and people seeing that it's, you know, it is the teacher, it is the doctor, it is the nurse, it is the janitor. Um, uh, and, there, and there's not any of us that don't know um, or any one of your, your listeners that doesn't know someone that's affected with an addiction, um, I think that, you know, more and more we, we see the openness to it. And that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for prevention. It's a good thing for treatment. And it's obviously an excellent thing for uh, people to know that they can live a, a life of long-term recovery. And I think it's really important for everybody to understand, too, is that um, as with all medical conditions, the science is evolving our treatment and it's evolving how we um, the opportunities we have to treat people. When I worked in a detox unit in Boston, I remember coworkers telling me that cocaine wasn't addictive, and right. a lot of them were using cocaine because at the mm-hmm. time nobody thought that cocaine was addictive. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's really important for all of us to understand that that, that the treatment of addiction isn't a fixed um, science. It's not a fixed right. entity. That there are many doors to recovery. Mm-hmm. Many pathways, many doors, and and you know, uh, Mary, what worries me now in that same light is the um, people um, talking very openly on the fact that they don't believe marijuana is addiction. I know, you know, and that that the use of marijuana, you know, in some ways becomes more prevalent, and even over the time, and people seeing that is not a drug, um, but in essence, just a, a way of life, and you know, more professionals, you know, looking at that and. and um, I, I find that really, um, really eye-opening. Well, you know, it's it's kind of ironic because we know that alcohol is probably the most dangerous drug you can abuse, and it's legal. Absolutely. So the idea that you can make something legal and it makes it um, not harmful is absurd. And we'll be right back to talk to Karen Carpenter-Palumbo, the new CEO of NATAP. If you have any questions, give us a call.
You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Karen Carpenter-Palumbo, the new president and CEO of NATAP, the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. And we're talking about a new day in addiction treatment. In the last segment, we were trying to set the stage for, um, you know, what's new and, and what's different. And I think in order to understand that, you have to understand where we've all come from. Um, the, I think one of the most important things um, for me is um, having come into this profession as as a nurse, that I see this as a chronic illness, and I see this as an illness that that waxes and wanes, and that as with hypertension, diabetes, asthma, it's something that you constantly you need constant um, checks for. And historically, addiction treatment has been well, you go away for thirty days, and then you go to AA for the rest of your life, and you you need to stay sober. And we know that that isn't really um, the most effective, but yet that's the expectation. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that, Karen. Well, I would agree. I mean, that's what people, certainly in the time that, um, let's say, uh, 25 years ago, um, I remember um, very personally, you know, my dad um, uh, going away uh, right before Christmas for 30 days. We couldn't talk to him. 
Um, I really didn't understand everything that was happening. It was new to our family. We knew that there was a problem. but um, And then he came back, and, you know, we, we went to Al-Anon, which was great, but um, he very quickly, you know, got involved in AA, and, and I, I remember him talking about, like, is this it? Where are the other supports? You know, how do I change my whole life within 30 days? So it's interesting as we as we've progressed, we know that it's AA support, it's outpatient treatment. There's other programs um, that people have to be engaged in, and really the peer to peer support that happens within you know 12 step programs, but also outside of 12 step programs is critical to someone's long term recovery. There's a reason we say change people, places, and things, but we've come a long way in giving people the tools that they need to really, um, you know, live that life of recovery and live a good life, um, not just one that, not just a mediocre life because it doesn't have alcohol, but a wonderful, you know, life. And we hear stories and stories, uh, you know, uh, again and again how, you know, uh, in- incredibly um, different someone's life is and how even more rewarding than they ever thought it could be. And that's inspiring. I think there's nothing more inspiring than being around people who are working their quote-unquote program. Um, I think, you know, people who are on that spiritual path, people who are um, practicing um, a recovery-oriented way of life, um, I think through the years I've just kind of learned to absorb some of that because it just makes it makes your life better, you know. And, and I think that, um, as, as we said earlier, there's no wrong door to to recovery, but certainly people who get involved in 12-step programs, um, there, there's an enrichment there that um, you don't always see with other pathways to recovery. Sure, sure. And because one of the things we know about this disease of addiction, it can be very isolating. And we want to make sure that people in their recovery, they were isolating, you know, while they were in the addiction. Um, so let's, you know, when they're as they're uh, coming into recovery, let's make sure that that isolation doesn't continue. So the more we can, you know, ex- expose people to different venues, I think the better it, it's going to be for, for everyone. And mm-hmm. and there's a celebration. You know, oftentimes I've uh, talked about, um, you know, the people going through um, uh, treatment for addiction, whatever the pathway, however they got there, are no different than a cancer survivor. And many years ago, as you know, we whispered, you know, uh, cancer, um, certainly in my Irish Catholic family we did. Uh, but, you know, now we celebrate survivorship and people, you know, wear pink to celebrate breast cancer and we talk about prostate cancer and we talk about colon cancer um, and celebrate, you know, the survivorship. And in my view, people with an addiction are no different. You know, they've struggled, they've worked really hard. So if they so choose, um, you know, celebrate that, that piece of their lives and uh, be a, uh, a role model to others, again, voluntarily when they so choose. Right, and I think it's important for everybody to understand that compliance with treatment for addiction is equal to or greater than compliance with treatment for diabetes, hypertension, or asthma. Um, Yet I think people that have um, substance use disorders or chemical dependency um, are held to a different standard in terms of this is that you have an illness but you get one or two chances to treat it, and then if you relapse, then there's something wrong with you as opposed to this is this is a chronic illness, much like mm-hmm. every other chronic illness. 
And I think that that's what the organizations and, and like NATAP, you know, the National um, Association of Addiction Treatment Providers, that's one of our roles in, in, in advocating and, and changing, you know, and educating uh, people's uh, mindset both on a, you know, national perspective and, and the political um, environments as well as just local and healthcare because we have to really continue that work that this is a brain disease and show, um, as many of us were convinced in the past when we looked and saw, you know, the changes in the brain chemistry, uh, you know, on a um, on a scan, and that's that's really um, I, again eye opening. And the more we can do that, people become more accepting, and I think they understand, you know, the the chronic nature of of addiction, you know, as an illness. Well, and I can remember back in the day when we used to tell people um, we we used to intake pe- people for treatment and say, "You're not ready. Come back when you're ready." Mm-hmm. And um, I can also um, know if somebody would relapse while they were in a residential treatment, we'd say to them, you need to leave. And mm-hmm. I never understood that because right. that's when somebody's active in their symptoms. It's like saying to somebody who's got chest pain, um, you need to leave the emergency room, and when you're, chest pain, when you're done having chest pain, come back and we'll do something for you. Mm-hmm. It does seem barbaric, doesn't it, um, right. when we when we talk like that? But I think that that's the piece where people there's still as, as many people know, and there's there's people you know friends and colleagues that I have that still believe it's a weakness. And um, you know, again, you know, the, the, my best recommendation to anybody or anybody that's listening that that knows somebody with an addiction just to pull up on the internet those brain scans and you can see the change in chemistry no different than a mental illness, no different if you saw you know uh, the uh, the chest. You know, during a heart attack, it's, you know, it's inflamed. There are spots. It has changed um, what it looks like, you know, pre- and um, post-addiction. And I think, uh, you know, that really is the science we have to keep reminding people of. Um, You had mentioned um, your role at NATAP, and you're really new to your role at NATAP. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering um, what it's been like for you to go from being the the commissioner of the public health system in New York to the CEO of a national organization that is mostly private providers. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's been a transition, but it's been an exciting one. I mean, I'm just thrilled to be part and continuing in, in the advocacy and the policymaking um, for, you know, substance abuse, addiction, and in, in our country. And I think that much of my work, certainly towards the end of my tenure as commissioner, was on the federal level because it's about, you know, uh, health care parity, it's about health care reform, and, you know, I, now being able to continue that on behalf of, a, you know, over 300 members that are, are leading, really leading, um, uh, you know, prevention, treatment, and recovery in the country, uh, it's really just a, a perfect fit, I think. Um, I, I, I told the, the team that, that hired me that, um, you know, they said how much they needed me, and I said how much. I needed them, and uh, it's a great marriage, and it has been. Uh, it, it's it's had its uh, its uh, uh, you know starts. Uh, it's different in in many ways, uh, but uh, at the same time, to having the being able to continue with the same issues is very um, um, uh, fulfilling for me. Very fulfilling, and uh, I see that there's so many avenues. It's a, it's kind of a new day at the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. Going in, you know, what more can we do to um, change not only its perception but change policy as it relates to addiction and uh, that's our number one initiative and uh, I'm really excited to to be part of the team to make that happen. Well, as a member of the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers, Westbridge is very excited that you're there too. 
Thank you. That's great. We, I think there's, I've always been, uh, from my early days as a community organizer and social worker, uh, there's a strength in numbers. And the more individuals that we have, the more providers that come together, um, I don't believe that there's any stopping us because I know we're doing right by uh, the people in the country. You know, I, I, as with, um, as I keep saying over and over again, but I, but I want to say it to make the point, is that we are an evolving profession. And I can remember when a dual disorder used to be somebody who had a cocaine addiction and alcoholism, and then it was somebody who had an eating disorder and somebody who had a mental illness, um, an addiction. Excuse me. <coughs> um, and at Westbridge, we work with people that have major mental illness and substance use disorders, and, and there's really not a place for us at, at the table. Do you know what I mean? We have the addiction programs. We have the... Um, the, the programs of therapeutic communities, we have mental health programs, but um, do you see anything in the future for programs like ours that are that really treat people with co-occurring disorders? Oh, I do, and I think uh, I think to the for the most part, there's not too many programs that aren't treating co-occurring disorders. They may just not be calling it that. I mean, there we know that there's you know 60% of of those. Um, in the mental health field that, that likely have a, a uh, co-occurring, uh, you know, addiction, and there's, there's you know, over nearly 60% in the um, addiction uh, arena that also have a um, some form of a uh, mental health diagnosis. So I think programs, we're going to be learning more and more about truly what is co um, co-occurring treatment, and it's not just having a psychiatrist in an addiction program, nor is it having an, a you know a, a certified addiction counselor in a mental health program. It's really integrated treatment, and I think we're all working very hard to see what is the best option. I know um, your program does a lot of work in that area, and I think a lot what we can do um, in associations such as NATAP is do best practices. You know, it's about policymaking and changing, you know, the, the environment through laws and regulations, but it's also educating and, and having the, the best practices among the treatment field. And, uh, you know, our members, I think, um, you know, are at the top of the list. You know, you're bringing up public policy, and I, it's been our experience that um, having treatment interventions for people who are still actively using substances or people who um, are sim- symptomatic of their mental illness and not taking their medication is crucial to them entering recovery. And so treating people who are active um, isn't always considered politically correct in some addiction treatment uh, mm-hmm. worlds. And I can remember in our previous uh, federal administration, we couldn't even use the word harm reduction. Right. So, you know, I, I think this profession and addiction treatment is sometimes really um, circumvented by public policy. And we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that after this next commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. 
Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, our guest today is Karen Carpenter Palumbo, the um, CEO, <coughs> excuse me, president of NATEP. <coughs> I'm sorry, I've got allergies. Mm, it is the season. It is the season. <coughs> and Karen, could you just talk a little bit sure. more before I go get a glass of water? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think what we were talking about right before um, we took a break was the idea of um, harm reduction programs and how in previous administrations, um, in federal administrations, it was you know nearly heresy. And I think one of the things that we all need to look at relative to um, you know programs such as this is a, a reminder that there are many, many pathways to recovery. And I think our job as, as addiction treatment providers is to review all those paths and make sure that um, the research um, goes along with um, what some of those pathways may be. Um, For you, um, it may be, you know, alcoholism anonymous. For somebody else, it may be talking to their pastor. For, you know, a third person, it may be going to, um, you know, a a bona fide treatment center. Um, But I think we have to embrace all of that. And so sometimes those are hard conversations within the field, but uh, nonetheless important. And so something like a harm reduction, something like medication-assisted treatment, um, we really have to um, look at and see, you know, what works for an individual. And I think that that's one of the things that when when you talked about no wrong door, um, we have to be more welcoming as an addiction field. Um, And oftentimes in New York, 
and through my travels throughout the country, I, I stress to people to really just look at their front door, literally look at their front door um, uh, as a treatment provider. Is it welcoming? You know, does it say, oftentimes what I found, um, and, and it changed very uh, quickly, but I often found that the first thing I would see on someone's door um, was no cell phones here um, or go in this direction or, you know, this is only for um, deliveries and you know someone in an addiction, with an addiction, you know, it's hard, it's tough. So, you know, we could, you know, I didn't want to go through many of these doors and, and I wasn't contemplating, you know, um, a life um, without alcohol or a drug. And so think about it, what it's like for someone who sees that. So I really want to embrace, you know, many people across the country looking at their front door um, and looking and seeing what literally, um, is it welcoming? Does it say hope starts here? Um, does it say, you know, once you enter, you know, a whole new life can begin for you um, if you you know, if you're willing to try, if you're willing to be open-minded. So I think that that really is something that as, you know, the entire um, um, field of addiction that we have to look at to make sure we are welcoming because there's over 23 million Americans that we know are that have an addiction and that haven't sought treatment and frankly don't even think they have a problem. So let's find ways that we can ensure that many more people um, can lead a life um, of recovery uh, and be free of the addiction of drug and alcohol. <clears throat> Thank you for coming to my rescue. Absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it's just a bad time of the June. Um, mm-hmm. In New Hampshire, we have green stuff everywhere, and every time somebody <laughs> opens the door, it comes in. So right, I apologize right. to all of you who are listening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> I think the whole thing about welcoming people into treatment. Um, you know, a lot of people come to us and they have so much shame, so much guilt, and the idea that um, you can come in, you're welcome, you can get better, and that we will stick by you um, through your through the process of your recovery is so important that um, I think <clears throat> every time I get a chance, I, I want to be able to tell everybody that, you know, um, relapse is part of recovery for some people, and for some people, they're getting sober for reasons that um, are short-term. A lot of people mm-hmm. feel pressured to get sober because they want to keep their job, they want to keep their family, um, they they want to, you know, um, be coherent to, mm-hmm. to go to work for, for right. a short period of time. But but they don't internalize that, gee, that's really in my best interest to be sober. So once that reason for um, being sober ends, they usually go back drinking. And so they get mm-hmm. they kind of get labeled as a chronic relapser when, in fact, they're just making short-term dis- decisions to mm-hmm. be sober. Mm-hmm. They're not really thinking about this is in my best interest for, for the long run. Right. And I think that as treatment providers, we have to get more sophisticated in understanding that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think it, as we said, you know, I think it's also a way. Um, many years ago, um, you know, I, I I certainly believed as a profession, and I think this is again where we've evolved that people, all people, had to um, uh, voluntarily enter treatment. Um, and I I found very quickly um, in talking to people in treatment programs um, that if they hadn't in some cases been mandated, if they didn't have you know it maybe a, a a possible jail sentence or they didn't have the 
um, uh, the real um, issue of their their wife or their their husband leaving them or losing their job, they may, may never have come. So I think that this is again, as you said, part of treatment providers. There's a staging process that happens in the in the in the um, phases of recovery, and we have to recognize which phase an individual may be in and make sure our treatment program goes along uh, with that. We can't you know magically in 30 days you know come to that. We have to just give people the tools to work as we all know, work through a program of recovery, and, and there are many different stages, and people are different. And, you know, it's, it's, it's up to us as, as treatment providers um, to recognize that and, and craft individual treatment plans because and, what may work for you may not work for me and vice versa. And there's no magic bullet. Never, you know, never. Recovery is as much process. as everyone would like one. Right, know. I know. Everyone um, would like one. Right, but, there, um, there isn't one, and and and, uh, and we know that you know those are if if, if anybody offers one, they're very short lived. So, um, but it's hard work, which is why I think that the more we can talk about it, and people are open about their addiction or open about their recovery, um, and I think as you talked about the that whole piece of shame that comes into if people saw more successes and saw people talking about it and really recognized that it, it truly is something that can, you know, be overcome to live a life of recovery, you know, even though it's one day at a time, even though it's, there's no cure, um, I think people would even approach treatment uh, more readily. So we've got a job, you know, our entire country and our society has a job ahead of us with those 23 million Americans that, that we know by the science and we know um, that um, truly have an addiction. We have to create avenues and pathways for them to realize, help them realize their own recovery. I don't know whether you had a chance to see Rob Lowe. He's done a couple interviews about, he's written a book about his life, and he talks about going away to rehab. And I almost fell off my chair. He said it was the greatest thing he had ever been through. And, I mean, he could not see enough positive things about being in rehab. And I'm thinking, right. wow, how refreshing, mm-hmm. you know. That, right. You know, and, and and what a great message for people. Right. And those are the types of messages we have to get out. And, and he's been in recovery many, many years. And I think often very similar to when, you know, um, mental illness and then still some places considered a stigma, you know, people, you know, now enjoy the opportunity to go and meet with somebody when they're going through a crisis because they listen to them and they can help impart knowledge to help them help themselves. We know recovery from addiction is no different. It gives you an opportunity to learn things about yourself that you've never been able to talk about. And there's trained individuals that we have a whole field of professionals that are their job and, you know, their calling, as you said as well, is to, to do just that. And there's a science involved in it. It's not just a, hey, let's talk about your problems today and this is what you need to do. It's an identification of, you know, really what is the the motivator you know, to your drinking or drugging, and what do you think we can do um, to help move you through a change? And uh, I really, it's just the transformations that happen are Rob Lowe's story. I know, and I, and I think that the more people come out and talk about recovery, the more people will begin to understand that it's just like cancer was 20 years ago. Right. Something that's there, and you can talk about it, and you don't have to feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And I think that's a must. I would even go further to say that's a must for our field. And absolutely, you know, people will do it voluntarily. No one's going to make someone talk about, um, you know, their addiction and, and their recovery. But the inspiration that happens, 
the, um, oh, I can, if you can do it, I can do it too messaging um, is really more powerful than anything than, than I've ever seen in my whole career. Um, before I had my coughing fit, we were talking a little bit about public policy. And mm-hmm. I know that um, NETAP has been one of the organizations, along with many of the other national organizations, that have banded together for different policy initiatives. Um, what is NATAP going to be focusing on for the next year? A, a, a number of initiatives, but certainly top of the list um, are, are two very significant ones um, that, that our members uh, experience uh, each and every day. First is, you know, how, how successful, you know, and how thrilling it is that we have parity um, um, now in this country um, for uh, addiction. But what is concerning member, member, a number of our, our, our providers and our members is the fact that parity isn't administered um, um, the way it, it needs to be across the country. So we have to make sure that that implementation of parity uh, is true and real to um, the policy that was was passed and the, and the law that, the laws that were passed. So we're really working um, um, to talk about that. And, and um, over the next um, six months, uh, NATAP is going to host regional meetings throughout the country that talk about parity um, and its implementation, but also give an opportunity for our membership to come together to talk about you know things that may be different in the West Coast versus the East Coast versus the, the Southwest, um, because that happens, and uh, we want to embrace that and, and, and deal with uh, it relative to in- particular insurance companies, deal with it relative to policies and practices, and make sure that we really are insuring for the people that, that will seek treatment with us um, and our, our excellent um, providers uh, what to make sure that people do get the coverage um, and get the parity uh, for this disease as they should. The second one is, is health care reform, which is um, many things are happening uh, right now. Guidelines and criteria are being established. People look to 2012 and 2014, and we don't have to deal with health care reform right now. Well, that's not true. Um, again, what, what NATEP will be focusing on is, is, as an advocacy association, you know, with its members and, and with its liaison with other national um, Substance abuse partners will be just to ensure that the guidelines that are established now, the policies and the practices that are being established um, in statute um, and in um, you know uh, regulations um, do do just as they should and and allow for um, you know the uh, uh, the appropriate treatment of addiction. Do you see health care reform getting repealed? I don't. I actually don't, and, and that's an opinion. Uh, you know, that is not a, a representation of NAPAP, but I don't personally, as a professional in this field, see it being revealed. I think it came too far. Uh, certainly, I think there will be, um, you know, discussion among the margins, um, as there should be, and that's, the, that's what happens in the democracy that we have in this country, and that's good. But I think that it, we've really, um, with parity and with the, the movement towards um, what we have in so many um, Americans uninsured, I really think it's... Um, it will continue to be in the forefront, and it needs to be. We'll be right back after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and our guest is Karen Carpenter-Palumbo, the new president and CEO of NATAP, the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. And our topic today has been a new day in addiction treatment, and I hope that you've all had an opportunity to kind of listen to how far this profession has come in the last 30 years and and the the advances in science, the advances in um, treatment interventions, and the advances in our philosophy of treatment as well. And um, I think that it's really important from my perspective that as a profession we begin to look at harm reduction, we begin to look at treating people wherever they are in in the process of, the, of their disease and that there is no wrong door to treatment. Um, and I think that NATAP has, has an obligation and responsibility to, to help in, in bringing um, the whole profession forward uh, so that what we're doing matches the science. And so, um, Karen, having said that, um, maybe you could just give our our audience a sense of what NATAP is and mm-hmm. what its mission is. Sure, absolutely. Well, NATAP is um, you know an organization that's that's over thirty years old, and it's it's really made up of um, addiction uh, treatment providers across the country uh, to the tune of over you know three hundred strong right now and growing each and every day. Because I think people realized many years ago, and and the same holds true today, is that you know it, there is a strength in numbers, and um, uh, you know NATAP is a very diverse 
group of um, addiction treatment providers um, that, you know, provide public um, um, services, private services, and I think what people don't realize is a, is a high amount of charity care uh, for very um, significant, you know, um, well-positioned um, uh, uh, and established uh, programs. So I think as we go forward, um, that strength will even be um, become even greater because uh, we're going to motivate and, and unite um, uh, in the spirit of collaboration. Um, it, it, you know, I think many years ago it was there were there were competition among members. That's no longer the case because we know, as I've said, I think several times today, um, you know, we have 23 million Americans that are in need of care. So our job is is to make sure that that care is available to them and that they have access um, to those um, very significant um, uh, treatment programs so they uh, individuals are able to lead a life of recovery. And as we look forward, NATAP is really leading that forefront. Uh, and because they're, uh, we are a national organization, I think that um, um, you know, Congress is listening to us, um, the states and their uh, individual state governors and state commissioners are listening to what we have to say, um, and, and more now more than ever, um, you know, the unification that comes by saying that, yes, parity is wonderful, and yes, health care reform is wonderful, but, you know, we will need to ensure that the implementation um, of, of any um, national health care model and the implementation of parity is critically important, and uh, we will ensure, because we will want to make sure that, um, you know, treatment is available, and the way treatment is available is through public, private, and uh, uh, entities, and that's insurance, and, uh, and that is, uh, you know, through public programs, and this is um, uh, something that no, regardless of your payment mechanism um, is what leaders such as we have at NATAP, you know, embrace. And uh, our, our job is to make sure people get the treatment um, that they need to go forward. You know, you had mentioned collaboration among um, the different treatment providers and professions, and I, I believe there are over 20 different groups that lobby c- Congress on the behalf of addiction treatment, mm-hmm. and I think one of our weaknesses as a profession is that we we aren't united and we don't go as a single voice. So, so it enables Congress to say, well, you know, this group is telling me A and this group is telling me B and this group is telling me C. I don't have to listen to any of you because you don't have a common message. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we, I think, oh, pardon me. I think we, I think we've gotten better with that. I think there, there's a number of coalitions that have those 20 individuals, including myself, sitting at a table. And saying, what what are we going to do? This is what my membership needs. This is what your membership needs. But we all know that as a group, and this is the fundamental mission statement that we've all agreed um, that you know we need to ensure that people have access to treatment. And so once we've established that, um, we can go forward to make sure that there's payment me- mechanisms in place and that when a managed care company takes on you know and says that you know someone can only get four days of treatment, that that's not parity. And that's part of the the unification that comes by partnering with all these other groups that range from, you know, the the Association of of uh, Addiction uh, uh, Doctors, the Association of Credentialed Addiction um, Administrators, the uh, National Association of Substance Abuse Directors, and um, I'm I'm thrilled to be part of those national coalitions because we do get that, and uh, it's important. Just as NATAP membership come together and we lead the charge as the leaders of of policymaking in the country, it's equally important that we're members of coalitions um, of those 20 organizations to move the entire message forward, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of that. It's, it's a great time, I think, for our profession, and it's a great time for people who um, want to join our profession. We certainly, um, there's, unfortunately, there's, 
there's no less demand for treatment than there was 30 years ago. So anyone who's looking for uh, a rewarding and challenging profession, this is a great profession to get into. And um, workforce development, I know, has been crucial to a number of groups because a lot of us are graying out and we don't have um, the infrastructure really built to, to get new folks in. So is NATAP doing anything around workforce development? Uh, that's one of the topics that is, is on our strategic plan as we go forward because it's very true, succession planning, you know, what's the next generation of professionals, and I think part of it is that opening up into what some of what I did in New York is um, talking about this field as a profession of choice, not something that you come through because of recovery, but, it, you know, that's one of the avenues, but the, a profession of choice, and that we have talent, and instead of a workforce, we often turned, termed it as talent management. You know, how can we mine for talent, bring in the best, and the brightest, um, and, and and look at the rewards that people get by coming into a profession that can help people um, that maybe at one point um, uh, were struggling, uh, you know, and and their 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 work was um, compromised, their family life was compromised, um, you know, maybe their their freedom, you know, from from a um, uh, something a problem with the law was compromised, but now working with them and to see um, an individual uh, go from you know, uh, in some cases homeless, and in some cases, you know what I mean, um, uh, you know, ostracized from their family to where they're embraced. That That's a really rewarding day in anyone's life, and this is a profession that we offer. So I think our job is to look at, you know, how can we bring more, in, just as we talk about having um, uh, increased the access into treatment, we want to increase the access into our field um, and recruit people to come in because we know um, how rewarding it is. So I think it's uh, looking at all those avenues and, and seeing it as a profession of choice. And uh, I, I'm really thrilled to, to work with other organizations such as NADAC and, and um, you, know, um, um, uh, you know, ASAM uh, for the, um, the medical community to, in, in, in working with the nurses and, and, and other social workers to make this their, their uh, profession of choice. Um. I think it's been a very fast hour that we've spent together. And in our closing, um, like, couple minutes, I just want to um, acknowledge that uh, you have entered um, a position that certainly it has its challenges. And um, I think that it's really important for everyone to understand that, um, you know, NATAP is, a, is an organization that has um, a lot of potential and that... Um, there's a lot to be said. I know as a healthcare administrator in uh, this profession, it's nice to go have someplace to go where I can learn about new technology, where I can learn about new business practices. And that's always been something that NATAP has provided for the profession. Absolutely, and we'll continue to do that. And, and we're looking at other opportunities that we can bring not only CEOs together, which is one of the number one things that, that most CEOs within our organization will comment on, that ability to, to talk with my peers, but the other is to bring some of the other um, um, uh, you know, high-level um, uh, talent within our organization, such as medical directors and uh, you know, clinical directors uh, and you know, um, certified uh, um, uh, or uh, CFOs and COs to come together to share, you know, some of their common practices, public information officers. That's really, I think, something that, that an organization such as NATAP can do because it really is about, you know, um, advocacy and it's also about best practices for addiction treatment. How can people contact you, Karen? 
Um, absolutely easy. You know, we have the NATEP uh, uh, website, NAATP.org, um, and, you know, my number is listed there, and I'm, my, my email is uh, kcarpenterpalumbo at natep.org. Uh, and I encourage people just to, to come in, visit our website, uh, look at what we're doing, call in, um, email me. I would love to chat because uh, I think as all of us, as you are, Mary, um, we're um, dedicated to this field, and uh, we're going to continue going. And we have a spirit among us that uh, is unmatched. So, uh, you know, there's no stopping us when we all work together, and that to me is the new beginning for NATAP and all its members. Thank you so much for spending the hour with us. And, oh, thank um, you. Have a good week, everybody. We'll be talking to you next Monday. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.